Hello, Nesters. Guess what? We're doing a special series on books for the best book fair around, the Miami International Book Fair, of course. Our first guest is the amazing Ruth Bahar and her picture book, Pepita Meets Bebita. Here we go. Like a sparrow building shelter with branches for its young, my mother built a nest with love for her little ones. My grandfather told her, doesn't matter what you have, the only thing you need for life is each other's helping hands. Never the empty nest, my mother always says, spread your wings and fly, you can always come back to rest. Never Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Never the Empty Nest. Uh, you have just two of the three of us today, people, because Mama Bird is out of the nest this week, and we'll let you know why. But we have an amazing guest that is going to join us in a little bit, Ruth Behar, who just wrote a book called Pepita Meets Bebita, which is so cute. It's a picture book. We'll tell you all about her in a little bit, but I just want to say, Nico, hi. How you doing? I know your day has been a little crazy. You want to tell us why? Well, two days ago, I started coughing and last night was just horrific. Um, didn't sleep a wink. Just literally, you know, when you're coughing so much that you're like gagging and you're tearing up. Yeah. So, yeah, I went to the doctor right before I just got back. I have acute bronchitis. Super. Yay! Yay! Tis the season to be sick. Fa la la la. <laughs> it's okay. Um, yeah. So if I mute for a second, you can't hear me because I'm coughing up my lung. But um, no one will know. Yeah. So I'm just letting you know right now. <laughs> uh, but yeah. You're so um, I'm just terrified. My kids are gonna get. I, what's so insane is that I'm sick, but my kids are fine. My kids had a little cold, like sniffles last week, but nothing crazy, thankfully. Because this time last year... How did you year, get it from the horses? No, I didn't get it from the horses. What are you talking about? Guys, I started <laughs> I started my horse journey of learning how to tack horses um, at Lily's Riding School so I can uh, take lessons there. But anyways, that's on a whole other level. Other conversation. But yeah, other than that, it's fine. I'm just hoping, you know, our kids sleep with us, family bed. So I'm just a little... Yeah. I keep telling Lily, who's like a total barnacle, like, Lily, face the other way. I can't cough on you. I can't <laughs> breathe on you. She's just like crying like, no. It'll be what it'll be. I know. You it's have okay. to let it go. But it's just because of Joachim's, mm -hmm. you know, anemia. So uh, if you remember last year, at this time, he was getting transfused in the hospital. Yes, I so. do remember. Yeah. Yeah. But this, I don't feel like any of that is going to happen at all. I'm feeling very positive this cold and flu season with him. But, you know, you have to, I always, it's that internal like, uh you know, fear. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. anyways, enough about me. Yeah. How are you? Um, I'm good. I'm going to say why mom is oh, not yes, here. Yes. So mom is not here because the person that helps with my grandmother has uh, abandoned the ship yeah. or the nest and she, she has left. And so now my mom is with my grandmother 24 seven because my grandmother has RSV, which is essentially a cold, but not great for babies or old people. And dementia, RSV, dementia, and, dementia, and she's together. 91. Everything. Yes, as, as people who listen to the podcast know. But that's why she's not here because she's, you know, next to her. That said, my grandmother did tell me yesterday 
that my dad, who passed when he was 50, it comes to visit. I didn't oh, tell you this, you Nikki. haven't told me this. Tell she me. She told me yesterday. She said um, that he comes to visit and that he stands at the at the balcony and that he like, le da cariñito. Like, yeah. Stop. Yeah. That I just know. gave me a cry ball. Yeah. Yeah. So that is a is a little tidbit of information that was interesting yesterday when I went to go visit her. Wow. Um, do you think that's real? End, I think it's I, real. I, I mean, mean, why, why would she say that? It could that? be like he's legit, like his spirit is visiting. Yeah. It was just his birthday. That's too. what I was about to say. It's so bizarre. So, but enough about all of that because we have an amazing guest and we should bring her on. Um, we have Ruth Behar today, who is a writer of uh, children's books, and um, she has a young adult book called Lucky Broken Girl with both my sister and I love. Yes. Um, love. She also has a brand new uh, picture book called Pepita Meets Bebita, which is kind of like the Latin version of um, Lady and the Tramp. We'll talk about it later. And uh, she was born in, in Cuba, in Havana, uh, grew up in New York, has lived a bunch of places, has other books uh, about traveling to Cuba and reuniting with her roots. She is, and she started her life out, her, her working life, her professional life as an anthropologist, which is awesome and fascinating and has written a lot about Cuban, about the Cuban Jewish community, um, which is originally how I discovered Ruth many years ago. And here she is. Thanks for joining us, Ruth. Thank you for having me. It's a total pleasure to be with the two of you. Totally. It's super exciting that Ruth is on because we we both, actually the three of us, my mom also who's not here, but we love Ruth's work and what she does. And um, I, I want to start talking with you, Ruth, about this new endeavor, this picture book. Um, it's called Pepita Meets Pepita, and it's about a family who has a, a bebita, which is a little puppy, and then a new bebita, a little baby, comes into the picture and what that journey is all about. And there's so many things that I love about it. First is the word cariño, which I already used in this podcast. And I think it's a hard, such a specific word to Spanish and so hard to translate, you know, and the fact that it's just there as the word itself, I thought was so amazing. But if you want, just tell us a little bit about the journey of, of this book coming into the world. Well, sure. Well, the important thing is I co-wrote it with my son. Yes. So it's all about familia from that perspective. And of course, being his mom, you know, I always dreamed of doing some sort of project with him. He's, he's a filmmaker as well as a writer. So it's always this dream. We're going to make a film together. We're going to write a book together. And so this book really came very organically from our life experience with him becoming a dad, a papi, and me becoming a grandmother. I'm an abuelita, thanks to Gabriel and, and his wife, of course. And so our, our first granddaughter was born in December of 2020. But before that, um, Gabriel and his wife had um, gotten this lovely little dog that was really <laughs> their substitute bebita for many years. Aww. I'd say for maybe, maybe it was close to oh, three, three years, I think three years before the human baby was born. And so their Pepita, their little dog, you know, was like the baby. They carried her around like a baby. You know, they spoiled her like a baby yeah. and so on. And then, you know, my granddaughter was born. It was in, in the middle of COVID, right? It was mm -hmm. December of 2020. 
And, you know, we were in Michigan, my husband and I, David and I were in Michigan and Gabriel and Sasha um, in New York. And the question was, how are we going to get there? You know, it was this moment when no one was flying, right, on airplanes. So no, yeah. we, can't, we can't get on an airplane. We'll get COVID. There was no vaccine yet. And I was just trying to find a way to get to New York. And uh, David at that moment had cataracts that hadn't been operated on yet. So he couldn't see very well. I hate to drive on highways. So the idea of driving 12 hours to New York was, I don't think I want to do this because I would like to survive the trip. <laughs> I was like, you I feel know, you. I don't think we're going to do this. And I thought, how are we going to get to New York to see our first granddaughter? And fortunately, one of my students, one of my former students, Bruno, who's Mexican-American and understood cariño and understood familia, he was visiting Ann Arbor. He's, he was at that moment teaching up in Rochester. So he was visiting Ann Arbor and then he had to get back to Rochester. And I oh. had sent an email to a bunch of people that I knew. And I said, if anybody can possibly take us to New York, I'll be so grateful and he responded. It was completely out of his way to go to Brooklyn. It was like six hours. Oh, my, oh my God. That's so amazing. What a good but person. But he understood and he, and he was just such a good person. And he, so he took us like, you know, straight to where we had to go in Brooklyn. He ended up having to stay a night in Brooklyn. Then he went on to where he had to go. And we were all wearing masks to get to New York. So we were in the car together. Oh, my he God. He was driving this Jeep that his father had gotten for him. So we were all squeezed into this Jeep with our masks. Oh, my God. We didn't even go into like a rest area or a bathroom. And finally, we got to New York thanks to him taking us. We had a ride back, but we didn't have a ride to New York. So so we got there. I got to know the baby. I held her in my arms. Mm. But then I was seeing... That the dog, who, that's her real name is not Pepita, but we decided to call her Pepita for the book. And Pepita was there looking very sad and very mm. kind of confused. Like, wait a minute, I've gotten all the attention up to now. Everybody's always with me. I get treats. I get this. I get that. And suddenly I'm being ignored. And you could just see that on the dog's face. You know, you could just see that she was so sad. And so I started talking to Gabriel about this. And I said, you know, maybe we should write a story about this. <laughs> this, this dog who's used to being the bebita. And suddenly there's another bebita that's come in and she doesn't know what's going on. And so I started writing it and Gabriel came in and started writing it with me. And so the two of us just started collaborating on this book. And that's how it came to be. That's amazing. It. That's such a great story. That's such a great story. And the, <laughs> I can also see all of you in the in the Jeep with the masks on and remember like you really took me back to that <sighs> to that pandemic moment. I love that visual of getting to them. I also love that that could have been the story. I was completely yeah. with you <laughs> that whole time. And then it was the story of this little puppy, which is also so beautiful. I mean, at the beginning, I mentioned that it was, you know, like the Lady and the Tramp, but it has such specific things like cariño and the asabache, oh, like the grandparents yes. bring a little asabache, which I have around my neck yes. right now. I don't have one on me, but I have a bracelet that my mom gave me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you to tell one, us about what asabache is? Yeah. Yes, I love the asabache. My father still wears one that was given to him by his mother in Cuba wow. when he developed appendicitis, and he still he'll pull it out. Somewhere. Mira la asabache que me dio mi mamá. You know, he still has this asabache. So, so it's you know typically for those that don't know, it's a jet stone. It's a black stone. It could be like onyx or jet stone, as it's called. 
and it's worn for good luck. So you can wear it for good luck, but typically it's pinned with a pin. It's pinned onto a baby's undershirt or something like that, or their or their sweater to to protect them from any evil eyes. Because you know babies are so cute and so beautiful. You just want to you know love them and squish them too much, give them too much love, and so you have to protect them in, in case they're getting too much love and might get hurt. <laughs> Yes. Um, so I thought, well, one of the things, you know, that, that this baby would need to have is an asabache. And in one of my presentations, I brought in an asabache with a pin and showed it to everybody because most people didn't know. I said, look, this mm. is an asabache. And, yeah. um, but I just know about it because I've always heard about the asabache. And I think it's very much of a Caribbean tradition, yeah. I think, because we have it in Cuba, but also in Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. And um, so I thought, well, this baby's got to have, you know, an asabache. And so that's like one of the things that the grandparents are bringing for the baby. They're bringing the asabache, they're bringing um, ropita, they're bringing mm -hmm. food for the parents because they're not going to have time to cook. And so they're bringing frijoles and picadillo and platanos. And of course, Pepita, the dog, is observing all this and going, wait a minute, but I'm not getting anything. Yeah. What's, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. She she gets a little something, a little something at the end. But I, I have a question just going back to the Asabache. And as someone who, like, you know, you go through the process of of working with an illustrator, and this Asabache is so authentic, you know, it does have that little pin. And the did did the illustrator Maribel Lechuga, did she look it up? Or did you send pictures? Like, how was that relationship? Such a good question. I don't know how you managed to catch that because it's kind of like an inside story, but you seem <laughs> to know it. So Maribel Lechuga is from Spain, and I actually had the good fortune to meet her this past summer because I was in Madrid and got to know her. So she's oh, uh, Spanish-based, and she kind of knew of, about the Asabache, but not fully. And I think being from Spain, the tradition is a little different. So in the original drawing, the asabache was kind of large. It was like a big sort of gemstone, you know? And, and I looked at it and I said, you know, I didn't want to criticize her art because I love her art, so I didn't want to say anything critical. And I said, but I think the asabache needs to be a little different in this case. You know, it needs to have the pin and it needs to be smaller. This looks like weight. I mean, you know, we're not going to put like a 10-pound stone mm -hmm. around a baby's neck, you know? Yeah. So I said, it's, it's a little, it's a tiny little stone. And it usually has that gold safety pin. So I found some pictures online and I did send those and said, this is like more what, what I think it should look like for this book. And so she revised it. I love that. I mean, I, when I saw it, I was like, oh, this is so specific, you know, that little image where they're holding it. I had a similar thing happen, which I think is why it struck, which with Cuban bread, specifically how it's sold in Miami, mm. which is a very particular kind of an envelope. When I was working with the illustrator for, for what the bread says, which is a, also a picture book, the illustrator who was amazing, again, I'm the same thing, had brought back this um, Cuban bread, but didn't look like Cuban bread. And it wasn't really like in the packaging so I sent pictures and then that made its way in but like there's little things in this that I felt like oh this is a person who had a relationship and a conversation with her with her illustrator and that I think makes all the difference when someone is looking at a book like this you know oh yeah it makes it feel so much like oh I'm part of this nest you know like this is part of who we are and it's also a bigger community like you're saying like Caribeño and it's very very specific but also makes it feel like a big family. So how did you guys, you and your son actually write together? Did you, did, how was your system of writing? Well, you know, we weren't together in the same city most of the time. He's in New York and I'm in Michigan or sometimes in Miami. 
And so we were just, you know, sending sending the manuscript back and forth, you know, with track changes. And so, you know, I would make a change, then he would make a change. He'd cut something out, I'd put something back in, you know, because he comes from a film background. He's so good at being concise. Yeah. And and I'm always like flowery and going on and on and with all this detail. And so he'd cut things out and I'd go, oh my God, he's cutting things out that I wrote. <laughs> yeah. <But> then- <laughs> But then it'd be like, but he's my son, you know, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, he's my son. I adore him. So <laughs> it's all right. You know, like I can handle this. And <laughs> so it was, it was an interesting experience. And and I think we built on each other's strengths. You know, there mm. were sometimes like little details that I would think of that I would add, but then there were other things that he would think of mm. that, he, you know, sometimes he would subtract, but then it, it felt stronger because it wasn't overwritten. I do have a tendency to overwrite. So then he would like, you know, just see like where I was going like too far. So he would cut and then sometimes he would add something yeah. else or he'd add just like expressions like that rip. Like there's that moment when the fluffy pillow rips. Yes. And he said rip. And I said, oh, wow, that's something I wouldn't have thought of. But I thought that came from his film background. That's mm-hmm. like the dramatic like rip. Yeah. You know, so so I think like I think our talents were very complimentary. Yeah. I think it could make like a really cute sh- animation short too that you guys could do together, yeah. right? Like I could see it like that, like a little, you know, the little, it's true. The little shorts that go before the movies, you know? And then it's like, mm-hmm. and he's a filmmaker. Hey, you guys maybe could. But it's, it's <laughs> That's true. That's a really great idea. Yeah. yeah. A really great idea. Um, yeah. I can also see how film, I'm looking at the book right now while we're, while we're chatting. It's really, really, really sweet. Um, I love the illustrations. Um, the, but I can see how it's storyboarding in a way. You know what I mean? It's like how it, you know, you're working with when you do storyboard, you do realize how much is visual and how many words you can actually take out. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So exactly. that's exactly that's very and I interesting. think he really understood that I think his like film talents and yeah. film background were really, really, really helpful for this project, you know. Um, and you do have to think about that all the time when you write. Mm-hmm, well, yeah. you, well, you know, because you've written a picture book too, like you're writing it and then you realize, I don't really need to say this. And so then you can put a, a note for the artist, you know, I was thinking maybe an image here or I was thinking of this here. Yeah. And you realize that the words then become more kind of valuable because there's fewer of them and each word is very, very meaningful with a picture book. So it's kind of a form of poetry. Yeah. Yeah. really where every word has to count and the excess words really take away from mm-hmm. the story. So you have to really know like which ones to remove and which ones to keep, you know, it's, it's a, it's a filigree yeah. process where you're really working with, you know, very closely, very, very intricately with the words on the page. Yeah. And I think it is one of those arts that at least from the audience perspective, when you're a reader of picture books, you know, you read them the first time they're read to you as a kid and then you eventually can read them yourself because there's something in the words that you can read and then later you pick them up again and every time it has you know a different layer and a different meaning and that's it is like poetry in that way you know so I love that are you going to write more of these or are you uh, because you you I mean I know you have several we now include you know young adult and picture books are you are you thinking what's in the future in terms of uh, kids books or or others well, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, Gabriel and I wrote another picture book mm. um, that's hopefully on the way. Oh, um, so can't say too much about it yet, but we do have a contract and everything. So Amazing. we have another another picture book that we wrote together. 
a completely different topic, but very fun and very interesting and also um, Cuban in, in a very interesting way. So, so we have a book, another book, a co-written book coming. And then I have another picture book that I wrote. Huh. Believe it or not, I was asked to write a book about Hanukkah. Oh, oh that's great. I love yeah. That. So I was like, okay, Hanukkah, which was something I could write about because I have two granddaughters now, and the younger one is now eight months, and the older one mm. is two, two and three quarters. <laughs> and the older one was born on the last day of Hanukkah. Oh, in, wow. in December of 2020. So, so I think of her as, you know, my Hanukkah baby, and she, you know, so she was born the day that all eight lights, you know, wow. shining. And so, so she's like this, this light and this energy. That's beautiful. So when I was asked to write a Hanukkah book, I thought, okay, I don't usually write books about Jewish holidays, but Hanukkah is different. And mm -hmm. plus she's, I have a Hanukkah grandchild. So, so that was really <laughs> fun. So I wrote that, that book and that one will also be coming out. And we now pretty soon will be actually, we're about to announce it because the illustrator just signed the contract. So, um, so we're going to have this Hanukkah book. And it's all about light and miracles. I love, oh, it. I love that. So it's not a religiously oriented book, but rather like the meaning of light, the meaning of miracles mm -hmm. and how we're surrounded by miracles every day. And that's the lesson that the abuelita is teaching her granddaughter as they get ready to have a Hanukkah party. That's beautiful. I so now you know, that. everybody pick up Pepita, meets Pepita, <laughs> and then you can have more. Wait, of, there's of one more. Goodies. Oh my God. Oh my God. Okay. Estás acabando. Estoy acabando. Estás acabando. Estoy acabando. I love that expression. <laughs> it's so Cuban too. Well, it's like it's so Cuban. Estás acabando. Estás acabando. Well, I have another middle grade slash young adult novel coming in February. Wonderful. Oh, super soon. Yeah. So that one I can announce. That one's like, you know, I've got, Do it. Um, what are they called? Advanced reading copies <gasps> and everything. Oh, great. If, if you two want to read yeah. it. And um, it's called Across So Many Seas. Ooh. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And this one, I've never written anything like this. Mm. It's four different girls, four different stories. Mm starts in 1492 no. the expulsion of the jews from spain <gasps> wow. and then it goes on from there from spain in 1492 we get to turkey in the 1920s then we get to cuba in the 1960s amazing and then miami in the 2000s wow. so it's these four stories you have to read it to the end to figure out how they all connect i love that that sounds so that was amazing fun. yeah yeah, it was a fun book to write. And it was one of those books where I'm going, I don't think I can write this book. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd like sit there and go, I don't think I can write this book. And I would try and I go, okay, all right, you, you, let's try, you know, and yeah. I would try. But, but I kept saying to myself, I don't, I don't think I, I know how to write this book. But somehow it got written. Um, and yet here and, it is. And here it is. So I wrote a book. Well, you know, I wrote the book Letters from Cuba, which is yes. inspired by my Polish Jewish grandmother. This one is inspired by my Turkish Jewish mm. grandmother, my Sephardic grandmother, about whom we know very little, but she was the only one to go to Cuba of her huh. family. She left her parents and her sisters and brother behind. And for some reason, she went all by herself to Cuba. And we sort of know, we think that she was sent on an arranged marriage. Wow. Okay. But then when she got to Cuba, the man she was supposed to marry had married someone else. Oh my God. Yeah. And so then she had to stay with an uncle and like see what was going to happen to her. But the interesting part for me of the story was that she brought an oud with her. The, you mm -hmm. know, the oud is a Middle Eastern, beautiful Middle Eastern kind of mandolin 
And so she brought an oud with her, which was very common at that time. And and even girls and women played the oud. And so she would sing, you know, Sephardic love songs on the oud. Oh, I love that. And that was how my grandfather met her. She was sitting (laughs) at the entranceway of her uncle's house in Cuba. Mm -hmm. And and he passed by and heard her playing and and took notice of her. And so that's that's what we know. But that's all we know. And that then once she married... She never played the oud again. It just oh. hung from a nail on the wall, and she just never played what? the oud again. So that's the story that I know. Um, and so she was the inspiration for this story, and I had to kind of figure out, well, how far back does her Sephardic identity go? And I thought, mm. okay, it'll go back to 1492. Wow. <laughs> and, then, and then what happens afterwards once once she gets to Cuba and starts a new life there? So. Anyway, so that so that was that the takes a lot of research too. I imagine too. Yeah. Wow. So it's this book took some historical yeah. research. Yeah. Yeah. To at least get some of the facts right, right. and right. the rest, the rest I could invent. But but I was very inspired by a short passage that actually a priest who witnessed Sephardic Jews leaving Spain. Mm. He wrote like a very moving chronicle of just seeing them leaving in tears and. There were pregnant women, there were old people, there were some who died, you know, on the road to get out of Spain. Mm. But he said that the rabbis would encourage particularly the young people to sing as they left, as they departed to sing. And so that really inspired me. So song is a very important part of this story. And there's one song in particular that comes through the book, like it comes in and out of the book. Mm. I'll try to sing a little bit of it for you, um, just the first few lines. En la mar hay una torre, en la torre una ventana, en la ventana una isla que a los marineros llama. So that's, that's, that, those verses go through the story. And we that's wonder amazing. about this girl that's in a tower that's looking out to sea who's calling to the sailors. Mm. So is she trapped or is she something else or is she independent and free? We, we don't know, but, but, but those, those verses just um, resonate through the story. Well, I mean, if you don't want to read that book, there's something right? wrong with you. Right? I'm like, I can't <laughs> wait till it comes out. <laughs> I, I really want to read it. That's I love hilarious. that from these strings, you know, this, this story is woven. I and love we it. Love, I love you it know, so much. the Garcia sisters love music uh, infused yeah. into, into stories. That's right. No, that's beautiful. Yeah. I love it. I love it. it. I can't wait to read that. Do you know? <laughs> I was going to go on. You go ahead. Nikki. No, no, it's no, just you... a super quick thing. I, I was telling Vaughn, I have to tell you that I, um, I used a, a little excerpt from little uh, Lucky Broken Girl from my audiobook reel. That's so great. Oh my God, yeah, I'm honored. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. That's yeah, amazing. It's a, a dinner scene with the whole family. Because, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's a great, it's great, a, yeah. yeah. So I was I like, I have to tell Ruth. I can see why that's a, that's so a great book to read aloud. Yeah. Wow. I was going to ask you, I mean, part of, you're already sort of answering this, but I was going to ask you how you moved from anthropology into this kind of storytelling. I feel like I hear it, you know, I hear some of the reasons why, but I would love to hear it coming from you, you know, what that was like. And also you can probably hear my little one in the background. I'm going to lock the door so that she doesn't (laughs) waltz in. She's not alone. She's not alone. I have to say, hang on. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm not a terrible no, parent. No, 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 no. She's literally playing outside, but she'll barge in here. And I could just, hear her. I could hear her. No, but she's about to be like, mommy, I'm this podcast is mine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's happened That's before. So sweet. Yes. That is so sweet. So, yeah. so tell us. Tell us. Rita. So tell you. Well, you know, things kind of for me happen with serendipity, you know, I, I didn't plan on becoming a writer of children's books, you know, but I started writing about seven, eight years ago. I started writing Lucky Broken Girl. I had been working on a novel for adults and it just wasn't working. I couldn't get it right. I kept working on it like every summer and then I'd put it aside. And I said, okay, write something different. And <laughs> and somebody had said to me that, you know, somebody who had I had written a piece about the car accident that I was in and that I had been in a body cast for a long time and that had trouble learning to walk again. So I'd written about all of that from the perspective of an adult looking back on being that child. Um, and those experiences, you know, have left a mark on my body because I do, you know, sometimes get panic attacks and things that definitely like go back to that time. Mm -hmm. So, but this person who I can't remember even what her name was, but she suggested to me, she said, why don't you write the story from the child's perspective, like from mm. the girl's perspective? And I said, okay. And I thought about it for a long time. And then I just, one day I just started writing from a 10 year old girl's perspective. I didn't know what was going to happen or where it was going to go, but I just did it. And eventually, you know, had a whole manuscript that of course was very raw and, you know, needed work, but at least it was all there. Yeah. And then was just able to get that to an agent and then to an editor, you know, not, it wasn't easy. There were definitely re a lot of rejections, but, you know, but I got there and kind of started and people said to me, that 10 year old voice seems to come so naturally to you. And I mm -hmm. said, yeah, I guess maybe on some level I'm stuck in time. Cause that was like a year <laughs> that I was at a commission, you know, in, <laughs> in bed and that 10 year old voice really stayed with me. And it was just, of course, such a terrible experience not to be able to move, you know, as a kid. So something about that time in my life, I think really stayed with me. And, and I didn't realize that that voice was so alive in me, that child's mm -hmm. voice, you know, and I think, you know, we all have a child inside of us, you know, and so it started there. And then from there, you know, I wrote another middle grade young adult novel, Letters from Cuba. And then it was after that one that I started thinking, maybe I should write a picture book because I love picture books mm -hmm. so much and think they're so amazing. And I think it's because I do love the combination of word and image. You know, um, as a young woman, I was very interested in photography and film. Mm. That had been one of my interests. And then I'd set it aside to become an anthropologist. And so thought, oh, wow, maybe let me try to write a picture book. But it was actually really hard for me yeah. to write um, Tia Fortuna's New Home. I had a lot of difficulty just figuring out, you know, what the focus of the story was going to be and so on. But then fortunately, that, that all came together. And I think a lot of my anthropology is actually in this children's literature that I'm writing you know, so that, you know, Lucky Broken Girl has all these different immigrants, you know, converging in New York. It's not just Ruthie's story, but it's her story in relationship to all these other people that are, you know, getting to know each other in this one little neighborhood in New York, right? So, and mm -hmm. it's very much the way I grew up in New York with all these different immigrant communities all around me. But I think I notice those things because I'm an anthropologist. So I think about cultural representation, I think about cultural traditions. And I thought, 
I don't want to write a novel that's only about the Cubans and the Cuban community because mm -hmm. that wouldn't be true to my experience, which was really about right. being Cuban in relationship to all these other people, whether they were Mexican or from India or Irish or African American. So, you know, so that was something that I think my anthropological lens mm -hmm. allows me to see those things. And then with Letters from Cuba, that book was based on a lot of research that I did in Cuba, where I went to the town of Agramonte, mm -hmm. you know, where the story takes place, this small town in the province of Matanzas, where my mother's family lived. And so, so you kind of see the anthropologist there because I could have just invented it all, but that didn't work for me. I had to actually yeah. go spend a few days in the town and kind of be the anthropologist and interview people and talk to people, learn about the folklore and the legends and bring all of that into the story. And then with Tia Fortuna, I bring in a lot of the Sephardic mm -hmm. background as well. But I never say, like a reviewer pointed this out, and it, it was something I hadn't really thought about. She, she said something like, you don't know in the book that they're Jewish. They're just, you know, it isn't, it isn't announced. Tia Fortuna is Jewish, you know, mm -hmm. or, or even that she's Sephardic. You just see her living, mm -hmm. living through her traditions as opposed to having to name them or announce, announce them. They're just like part of who she is. Yeah. And so, you know, so you see that, that culture there. And then with Pepita, now that I co-wrote with Gabriel, Pepita means Pepita. There we really wanted to honor the Cuban side of our culture, which, you know, Gabriel gets from me, but he also gets it from my parents. Like he was always very close to his Cuban grandparents who were my parents and mm -hmm. heard Spanish from them. And, you know, and he's also uh, made these wonderful videos of my mother cooking a series called Nana Cooks that he did Aww. for a while. And she's always cooking Cuban food. Um, and so, you know, so he kind of also inherited this culture, even though he was born in the United States, but that was important to him. So I think- yeah. That cultural awareness is mm -hmm. something, um, and the cultural diversity is something that I think the anthropology, you know, like really comes out in, in those themes that I'm really interested in. Yeah. And I think that that really is the difference of, of it coming from a place of like someone who is from a particular culture writing about that. It's just a natural, this is how I live in the world. This is how I actually, you know, walk through life. These are the things that happen around me. And that feels so different than when it's sort of like hammered and imposed, you know. So I, I do enjoy that very much about these books. And I think people in general enjoy that. It's not like, here's this thing that I'm going to hit you over the head with so that you learn it. It's just like, here's a life. Here's a window into a life, which mm -hmm. is what the best part about reading, you know. It's interesting what listening to you, you know, because the, the market has done something where it's like, oh, this is young adult. This is children's. This is whatever it is. But, you know, to a certain degree, it's really just the voice of a character Catcher in the Rye wasn't young adult when it came out. It was just, you know, right, here's right. this kid. And it's it feels very much the same. Like, here is this voice. I love that you you talk about this voice that was in you from a very particular important moment in your life that stays there and that it's so alive from that moment. I feel like you can feel that throughout. And obviously, I mean, my sister, my mom, and I just love that that you have joined us on this podcast today because it really does feel like the books also are so familial in the way of community, not just here is this, you know, whatever a traditional family may mean, but here is a family and here is a community and here's a group of people and, he, and all of them feel that way 
in in one way, shape, or form or another. And that's really, really beautiful about them. Nikki, do you have anything you want to ask Ruth that I haven't asked? You've asked all the things. I can't I know, think of I anything. I asked all the I, things. You really did. <laughs> I, uh, I have nothing else to ask. I'm well, also like afraid talk. of coughing. I could talk about more about familia because now yeah. that you say yes, that, please. I hadn't really thought about it explicitly, but that is a big theme in all these books. And it's something that maybe I didn't really get to write about as an anthropologist. So maybe mm. also to acknowledge the things I couldn't write about as an anthropologist mm. and now writing fiction allows me to write about these things. And familia is definitely one of them because Lucky Broken Girl is very much about a family, right? Yeah. Where now we have to deal with this girl, you know, who's got a broken leg and can't walk, you know, and it's not just Ruthie, but it's the whole family. It's the mother, the father, the brother, the grandparents, yep. the neighbors, the friends, the community, right? So all of that um, is very, very important to the story. And, and also with, the Indian family next door right. and the, uh, and the yeah. French, you know, like there's so many different families that are different sort of families. cobbled around this building, you know, around the center, family yeah. that's sort of taking us but yeah yeah absolutely yeah no i love that absolutely it's all these clusters of families mm -hmm. and how how they connect with each other and understand each other and help each other and support each other um all of that is so so important and the children of course are an important part of the story and what they're what they're understanding about family mm -hmm. also and then with letters from cuba there it's about a family that's separated And I wrote that book very much thinking about kids crossing the border by themselves, you know, that, that yeah. was really going on a couple of years ago, and I think continues to do so now, kids, you know, being put in cages and so on. And so I was thinking about these 10, 12-year-old children that are mm. crossing the border from Latin America and coming into the United States. And I was thinking about that. Then I said, wait a minute, but this, this is my family story. You know, my, my great-grandfather went to Cuba first, and then it was my grandmother who was the first to go of the seven children. Mm -hmm. She was young. She insisted on, you know, being allowed to be the first one. And she made that, that journey across the ocean by herself. And then she was with her father, my great-grandfather, for several years, actually, until they were able to, um, to save enough money to bring the, the rest of the family from Poland, her mother and her siblings. They were separated for quite a while. In the mm -hmm. book, I kind of compressed time and made it all happen within one year, but it actually took longer. Um, and mm -hmm, so yeah. that, you know, there was my own family um, separated. They didn't all, you know, migrate together. Um, mm -hmm. So I thought about that and what that would have been like for her as a young woman, you know, to be separated from her mother and even to, to watch her father be separated from yeah. her mother. So I was thinking about all of those issues of family there. And then with Tia Fortuna, you know, I, I decided to leave her kind of mysterious. So you don't really know like what her whole backstory is, but we do know that she's an older woman living by herself by the beach. She's a Tia. She's an aunt mm -hmm. rather than a grandmother, because I think, you know, Tias are very important also yes. in our culture. <laughs> um, and so I was thinking of a Tia, you know, that I that I adore in Miami, my Tia Fani. Um, but in the book, she's Tia Fortuna. <laughs> and thinking of, you know, what would it be like if she lived in the Seaway, you know, which is a building we all know, an actual real building that at the time, it wasn't even clear whether it was going to be demolished. They were just mm -hmm. saying that it might be demolished. Now, of course, it has been in the new building is like almost done, I think. But I was thinking, what if, you know, what if a, a, an elderly Sephardic woman like my aunt lived in the seaway and she had to leave her, her sweet, you know, apartment by the beach and she has a little niece, you know, I'm thinking of myself as the little mm -hmm. niece, you know, the little niece Estrella comes and 
you know, is trying to help her uh, get her things ready and get ready to move mm -hmm. out and how difficult that process would be. You know, I know for me, I mean, that would be like such a horrible process, but but I didn't want to make it a, de a depressing story. A lot of right. Sephardic right. stories and songs are very melancholy. And I yes. know that a part of my temperament could be very melancholy too. <laughs> I thought, I can't make this melancholy because I don't want children to suffer when they read this story. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, all right, you know, I'm going to have Tia Fortuna almost be like the opposite of me. She's going to be like optimistic. She's going to like say like, okay, you know, let's enjoy today. It's not mañana yet, you know, because Estrella is yeah. kind of feeling sad about saying goodbye to the beach. It's like, let's, let's enjoy today. And she makes her borrecas and, you know, gets ready um, to go and doesn't have to pack that many things because she's got a whole suitcase of memories in her head. Yeah. So she doesn't need to take everything with her. And, uh, and so there, you know, so there we have a relation, another kind of intergenerational relationship between, you know, an elderly aunt and, and her niece. And so I thought that was important, again, to show family mm -hmm. in a different way um, than we normally do. Um, and then, of course, yeah. Pepita meets Bebita is, is all about <laughs> family and kind of realizing that dogs are often a, a core part of our family they are as human as the humans and it's the family. true and yeah, yeah that's that's a family these days yep it's true god knows we've been talking about our fun little furry friends <laughs> in <laughs> in this uh, mine which is yeah. a, a crazy corgi and my sister's which is a, a wild uh golden doodle a huge um, golden doodle yeah we've bear. talked plenty about about them I think that the other thing that that I was thinking about today and just listening to you talk actually brought it back and just to like end on a on a sort of happy note also to end with this this optimism about what family is. I had this moment talking about that I was working out of cafes today and I was standing in line and I was ordering a cortadito at an Italian cafe. <laughs> so it's like this Cuban drink at this Italian cafe because they're used to because they have to do it. And then Um, and be next to me was this woman with a Venezuelan accent, because at this point, you know, you get used to hearing, you're like, okay, this person's from Venezuela. And the guy behind me was speaking Portuguese, clearly Brazilian. And I was like, I had this moment of, I love Miami. And I love this, this family, this nest that is Miami. Sometimes it makes you feel so, I don't know, connected to the world in a way, you know, because there it's just all these people all around you just you're doing the same thing. You're ordering a coffee and you're talking to each other and you're you're getting through the day and and loving each other and doing having whatever struggle you have, but it it's it's this really wonderful moment that I had. So, just ending with that and also with a great big thanks to you for Bebita yes. Meets Bebita and all your other books and super excited about what is coming. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much, thank Ruth. You. Ruth. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> so nice to talk to both of you. This was amazing. Thank it you. Was awesome. It was lovely. Let's do <laughs> it again one day. For sure. After we read this this book that I can't wait to read in February. Exactly. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And and for the rest of you, we will we will catch you next week on Never the Empty Nest. Yep. Bye-bye. Join us for our special book fair episodes on November 6th, 12th, and 17th. And even if you can't make the readings, listen to these amazing writers talk about their subjects, their passions, their wonderful stories. Story is everything. You can't make a nest without story.
And you can catch Ruth reading with her son Gabriel at the Miami Book Fair International at the Read and Chill Lounge in the Children's Alley on Saturday, November 18th at 1 p.m.